0: Hello, you're listening to a Medieval Madness podcast. To see the accompanying visuals, please check out our YouTube channel. Cheers! A lot has been written about the medieval period, and a lot of it generally portrays the people as being unsophisticated, cruel, and ignorant. Superstition was a dominating force that filled people's lives. Violence, death, and disease skulked around every corner, waiting to pounce. But there are also many misconceptions about the Middle Ages, making it one of the most fascinating periods in history. Let's travel back in time and look at five things that you probably didn't know about the Middle Ages. Welcome to Medieval Madness. Flat Earthers Now, this first one probably belongs to the realms of Victorian myth-telling, such as Viking helmets having horns and the laws of Primae Noctis, which is the liege lord having the right to sleep with a newly married woman. Just as it is today, anyone in the Middle Ages who believed in a flat earth was thought to be unenlightened. Yes, many people in the ancient civilizations such as Egypt, Mesopotamia and Greece thought that the earth was a flat disk, but by the first century it was widely accepted that the world was round. It has also been claimed that Christopher Columbus met opposition when he attempted to find a western course to Asia, because it was thought that he would fall off the end of the world. This is also untrue. The resistance for Columbus's voyage was because they thought Columbus had misjudged how large the round earth was, and that he would run out of supplies before he reached Asia. It wasn't the ends of the world that they feared, but rather the size of it, believing the ocean just too big to cross. It seems that the myth began in the mid-19th century, when Washington Irving published his book called A History of the Life and Voyages of Christopher Columbus. It turned out to be more of a novel than a factual history book. The Victorians liked to malign the medieval church, which they blamed for controlling scientific and intellectual thinking. This along with Washington's half-truths about Columbus sailing right off the horizon have all perpetuated the myth. It would seem that no one actually believed that medieval people were flat-earthers before the 1830s. Graveyards The people of the Middle Ages were very comfortable with the whole idea of death, as they believed that what was waiting for them after they had died was going to be unquestionably better than their life here on Earth. People wanted to die a good death, so much so that they feared dying suddenly with no time to confess their sins or to be read their last rites. A sudden death was for sinners, such as murderers or suicides whose spirits would wander the earth forever, never being allowed into heaven, not for decent, God-fearing people. If someone died from an illness and then other people started to experience the same symptoms, having no knowledge of germs, they actually believed that the dead were coming back to life and affecting the living. This gave rise to the idea of the Revenant, a sort of medieval zombie. Some people cut up the bodies of family members before burial just to be on the safe side. It's no surprise that medieval cemeteries often ran out of room. They were overcrowded and space for burial was scarce, so skeletons would often be dug up and moved to ossuaries. Here, bones were arranged and displayed in a macabre way of honouring the dead. Also, as corpses were only buried in shallow graves, they would often float to the surface in very wet weather. It was hardly any wonder that most people had seen a decomposing dead body at some point in their life. But cemeteries were not just used for burying dead bodies. They became social hubs in many medieval towns and villages. Important occasions took place there such as the preaching of sermons and local elections. Plays were performed and trials were held there. Even prostitutes plied their trade in cemeteries, which were places known for drinking and gambling. And because these graveyards belonged to the church, the area was free from the laws of taxation, making cemeteries a sought-after location for small businesses to sell their merchandise, all on top of the graves. Witch Hunts. Throughout most of the Middle Ages, the church regarded magic as a laughable nonsense (laughs) and denied that witchcraft even existed. It was denounced as just pagan superstition, St. Augustine of Hippo, the 5th century theologian, stated that any pagan religion and magic was created by the devil to tempt humans away from the truth of Christianity. However, he also said that neither the devil nor his followers were capable of producing any physical magic or even of having any real magical powers, so there wasn't any reason for the church to hunt down any witches because their powers didn't exist. The 8th century missionary Saint Boniface agreed, stating that just to believe in the existence of witches was unchristian. Bishop Agobard of Lyon rejected the idea of witches, and King of the Franks Charlemagne said that anyone caught burning a so-called witch at the stake should be condemned to death. The Malleus Marificarum wasn't written until near the end of the Middle Ages in 1487. Translated from the Latin as the Hammer of Witches, it was a sort of handbook for witch hunters written by a German churchman. Divided into three sections, the first part of the book tried to show that witchcraft wasn't just superstition, it was real, and witches were actually making pacts with the devils so that they could harm others. In fact, it went so far as to say that not believing in witchcraft was a blasphemy, which was quite the opposite of earlier treaties. The second section set out to prove the actual harm that these witches could do, and the third part gave a detailed account of how to find, arrest, interrogate, and execute them. Initially, the book was condemned by the church, but magic soon became viewed as an offence, not just against society, but also against God. Yes, there were some witch trials in the Middle Ages, particularly in those countries that spoke the Germanic languages during the 1400s, but those accused were prosecuted by civic authorities rather than the church. In England, witch trials didn't really become common until the reign of Elizabeth I. The Children's Crusade this is quite a strange event that took place in medieval Europe. The Fourth Crusade lasted for two years, between 12012 and 1204, and was a complete failure. The Crusaders didn't even reach the Holy Land, and seemed more interested in looting and pillaging across the Byzantine Empire instead, which culminated in the sack of Constantinople. This failure did nothing to deter their belief that Jerusalem should be reclaimed by the Christians. In 1212, a young shepherd boy named Stephen of Cloyes saw a vision of Christ, who told him to organise a new crusade and defeat the Muslim infidels. He went to the court of King Philip II of France to ask for support, but the king was unconvinced and told the boy to return home. Undeterred, Stephen went out into the streets and began to preach the message he had heard from Jesus to any children that he could find. This resulted in a huge group of young girls and boys all marching through the towns and villages carrying symbols of Christianity, such as crosses and candles. During the march, they sang songs praising God, and when asked how they would cross the Mediterranean Sea to reach the Holy Land, Stephen replied that God would protect them, and they would simply walk across with his help. By the summer, Stephen supposedly had 30,000 followers, which is currently considerably more than we have on this YouTube channel. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge, nods as good as a wink to a blind bat. At the same time, a German boy named Nicholas had a similar vision to Stephen, and also planned to reclaim Jerusalem. Nicholas gathered adults as well as children, and they began a dangerous trek over the Alps. Those who managed to survive the freezing cold conditions made it into Italy and arrived in Rome, where they were given a hero's welcome from the Pope. Nevertheless, the Pope said that they were too young to be victorious in their mission, and he sent them back to Germany. Many did not survive the return trip, and those who boarded a ship for the Holy Land at the Italian port of Pisa were never seen again. As for Stephen of Cloyes, it is said that many of his followers died on the way back to Marseille Harbour in France. The distances were too far for small children to walk, and sadly the prediction concerning the Mediterranean Sea did not take place, and the children had to cross by boat. Most of the children never went back home. A priest who later returned from North Africa said that whilst on his travels he had met some of the surviving children who were now adults. He said that two of the seven ships that were hired were wrecked before they even reached the Holy Land. The other ships were taken by pirates and the children were sold into slavery. It's difficult to know what actually happened to those who joined the campaign. Many of the details of the story are thought to be embellished and lost in the romantic myth. However, it is true that the Children's Crusade did actually happen, and that it was a complete disaster. Corpses on Trial The period of the papacy between the middle of the 9th century to about the middle of the 10th is known as a time of great corruption. There was much brutality, fornication, extravagance, and even murder, and all under the control of a powerful family of Roman counts. One of the highlights at this time was a bizarre trial held by Pope Stephen VI at the Basilica San Giovanni Laterano in Rome, 897. Stephen had been pope for under a year when he suddenly ordered that the body of his predecessor, Pope Formosa, should be exhumed and put on trial. It is unknown what Stephen hoped to achieve from this act as Formosa had already been excommunicated because he had deserted his diocese without permission. Nevertheless, Stephen had Formosa's corpse, dressed in papal vestments, and seated on a throne to face judgement. Stephen ranted and raved at the rotting corpse, which a horrified clergy looked on. Then found guilty, Formosa was stripped of his vestments and sentenced to condemnation of memory, meaning that all of his previous deeds were made invalid. The three fingers of his right hand that had been used for blessings were chopped off, then he was buried in a common grave. Unsatisfied with this humiliation, Stephen went further and had Formosa dug up and thrown into the river Tiber, although a monk dragged his body from the river. As for Pope Stephen, what became known as the Cardevere Synod proved to be his downfall. Within months he was deposed, imprisoned, and mysteriously strangled, the Holy Trinity. The next Pope, Theodore II, reversed the verdict and the body of Formosa was respectfully reburied. The Catholic Church has since reinstated Pope Formosa's acts and has banned the future prosecution of any corpses, which is fair enough.